0: to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's great to have you with us every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are at richarddugan.com, as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. Folks are uh, reposting these interviews, and gosh, I cannot thank you enough for that. That's fabulous. Uh, We also will be giving you our guest's website in just a moment so that you can uh, follow up, continue your transformational process, as well as your education, edification, enlightenment, insightful information that you'll get from our guest's website. And also, if you'd like to help us out as far as the work that we're doing here, you like the guests we're having and the information that's being presented, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for uh, support financially. And that's for your security as well as ours. And uh, we encourage you to go to those links on the homepage as well as the missions page, which is also where you can find out a little bit more about us as you're listening to this interview. We also uh, hope that you will participate in 2020, the year of perfect vision. That's right. And I've been saying it over and over again for the last 6, seven, eight, 10, September of 19, 2019 is when I started talking about this. We want you to go within. We want you to spend time with that still small voice. We want you to listen. We want you to find that peaceful place. We want you to find the calm that, that is so needed, especially right now. But it's always needed, regardless of what our what's going on in our lives. But uh, some would say now more than ever. You know, well, you know, now just do it now. I think uh, that'd be a great thing. And we'll even talk to our guest about that. Who is our guest? Our guest is returning after almost a year. Uh, we are talking with Mark Nipo. And I want to thank you so much for joining us on our program today. It's great to have you back. And I oh. love your hairstyle.
1: <laughs> thank you. It's great to be with you again. and Great to be a part of your show.
0: Well, you have been rather prolific over the years, writing different books. We're going to focus... I I was really intrigued by this particular uh, book, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. Um, uh, You know, there are some who are having trouble just finding one. (laughs) (laughs) But the beauty of this 52, I like this because you're playing with a full deck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Trying, trying.
0: (laughs) Trying to. Let me give your websites out here. MarkNepo.com is one. Or you can go to three intentions.com for more information as well. And uh, for those of you who are for the first time meeting uh, Mark Nepov, well, he's a poet, he's a philosopher. He has uh, taught in the fields of poetry as well as spirituality for over 40 years. I love the fact that when people talk about how long they've been doing stuff, I've been in this business doing this for over 40 years, since 1979, it's exciting. So I know, I know from whence, your, once you come, as far as the, the years that it's taken to get where you are today, we also want to talk about the number one New York Times bestselling author who has, he's published 22, I told you he was prolific, 22 <laughs> books, and he's recorded 14 audio projects. Excellent. I love audiobooks. I will also say, Mark, I was listening to audiobooks before audiobooks were cool. When I was a kid growing up, being legally blind, I listened to recordings for the blind and talking books for the blind. And even then, in my teen years, I found out about the uh, Nightingale Conant service that provided audiobooks as well. And I read, uh, I, I, and I say I read, because you do. When you listen to audiobooks, you're reading. Uh, I read uh, Wayne Dyer, um, uh, Dennis Waitley, Leo Buscaglia, my primer, metaphysical primer at the age of 17 was Autobiography of a Yogi. And so that's exciting that you have audiobooks as as well. And now he is also, um, he has been translated, oh my Lord, into 20 languages, 20 languages. Now, I know that there are 195 countries on the planet, but I don't know how many languages there are. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Thank you for being with us and for writing so prolifically to try to help all of us as well as I know yourself. This is, this is for you too, I know. Talk to us about uh, your, your beginnings. When did you dive into, and I'm going to use the broad term of metaphysics, which defined beyond the yeah. physical. So we could say yeah. spiritual, but I like metaphysics.
1: Well, you know, I think uh from a very early age before I had language for any of this, you know, I think even as a little boy, um the world always spoke to me in metaphor. That was kind of my my birth language. So even as a little boy, you know, I'd see the wind through a tree and it's like it was speaking to me saying, look, look, this is like what. Pay attention, pay attention. And so of course as you know as things went on it was it was in I was in high school, and, and this is archetypal, but the first woman I fell in love with, you know, dumped me and uh, broke my heart. And as I started to, you know, I, I wasn't a loner in high school, but I had lots of acquaintances, but I hadn't developed what I came to understand as deep friendships till college. So I started writing um in an effort to try to make sense of this broken heart and I realized after a while I wasn't just speaking to myself I had begun a conversation with life and the universe and so that's how I started writing Mm. and you know I'm I am blessed to be prolific but I have to say it's because I write about what I don't know the writing is a form of inquiry for me and the words and the books are the trail and so there's a lot I don't know. If I only written about what I know, I would have written very little. And, um,
0: I know that's probably true for all of us. Yes. You know, and and it honestly is quite an exciting thing to be able to acknowledge and own what we don't know. I mean, it's not like we know we know what we don't know. No, we don't. But to acknowledge if someone were to ask you a question and you were to say, I don't know, that's okay. You know, that is one of the things that I find so interesting. I know this was the big thing when when I was in my early days of uh, looking for work and working for different places. uh, I was always told by my parents especially, but friends and so forth, don't be afraid to say you don't know, especially if you don't know.
1: Well, and it's important. Uh, I think it's it's more than okay. It's the necessary doorway, you know, into true relationship. know, it's interesting that in the outer world, of course, there are answers to questions. And, you know, we go to the grocery store. We need to know that, you know, we're not buying expired milk or cottage cheese or we're taking the right medicine. But in the inner world of meaning, in that metaphysical world, in that spiritual world, um, Questions don't have answers, I have found. Questions, Questions. We, op- we ask questions the way we would open a door we'd like to walk through with someone. Questions lead to relationships. You know, there's a, a great line in the Talmud that says, uh, the Jewish Talmud, that says, why ruin a perfectly good question with an answer?
0: <laughs> I love that. I've got to remember that one. Well, I, uh, I love uh, a phrase that was given to me. I remember it because it was given to me at the age of 21. And I was only in the business for uh, two years, three years, 1979, uh, uh, 81. Yeah, so about two, three years. Anyway, and every once in a while, even then, you know how young people are. Uh, we were all there, and we think we know so much when we're so young. And someone said to me something that really turned me around. It is better to begin in doubt than end in certainty. Uh, It is better to begin in, uh, I beg your pardon, yes, that is correct, than to begin in certainty and end in doubt. Uh, It is better to begin in doubt and end in certainty than to begin with certainty and end in doubt. And I find it fascinating that though most of the guests I have interviewed over the last 40 years have not they have come from that perspective that they're trying to figure it out too. What I have noticed is the people I have observed on TV and listened to on radio, whether it be political or religious or what have you. I find it so fascinating that they they come across with such assurance that they know.
1: Yeah, I That's think, and I, I think, go ahead. I think this is um, you know also very much at play today. You know, in yeah. with what we're all going through because. There is so much fear. I think fear is the other virus right now. And there's so much fear. And of course, fear is understandable. Uh, There's a proper place for fear, but just being human, we tend to inflate the things we're afraid of. And, um, and you know, I have found through my, as you know, from my work, I'm a long-term cancer survivor. I learned a lot about fear through that and almost dying. And, And I've learned through the years that fear, is to be moved through, not obeyed. And, um, you know, there's a great line that Rilke has so many great lines, the great poet. But one I ran into that uh, and I hadn't for uh, before was he said, let everything happen, beauty and terror. No one feeling is final, keep going. And, I, you know, one of the things that echoed for me from my cancer journey to the pandemic era is that I had lots of wonderful healing doctors and nurses, and I had some that weren't so wonderful. And the those who weren't so wonderful were the ones who pretended to be certain, to pretended yeah. to know, you know, who would be eager to, you know, I would get, information about what was the next steps in my journey and then every and then those people would venture to speak about what they didn't know with such authority about whether I would live or die and I had many tell me I wouldn't be here and now we're 32 years later Um, but I find like you mentioned on uh, you know on TV uh, during all of this we have all kinds of, uh, of people on TV let alone politicians but even some of the broadcasters who start to speak about where we're going with such certainty when it would be more helpful if they would just admit that they don't know and they're just as afraid as we are.
0: Mm -hmm. Then we
1: can begin a real conversation.
0: Well, uh, that's one of the fascinating things that I have found in the last few months. Uh, And we've been talking about this. Now, I kind of put it in this context. Uh, and, And of course, everybody's gonna know what it is I'm talking about the moment I say the phrase. That there is only one constant in the universe and but i add to that 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 one constant in the universe we have been told to fear to stay as far away from as possible uh to 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 do everything we can and i'll use two computer a couple of computer terms we need to do everything we can to create a static life we don't want a dynamic life now that's not the word the word is change of course and that is the one constant. That's what's always happening. Um, and, and so if I just find it, I just find it so interesting. The economists, when you see uh, in the, on the morning news, they'll start talking about the numbers, all right? Now, I, I've never known an economist to ever be happy with the numbers. No matter how good they are, they're never happy. So I always ask the question, what numbers would make you happy? I want to make you happy, Mr. Economist. I don't want you to have ulcers or headaches, what numbers, because I'll make them up. I don't care, just to make you happy. But one of the phrases that's used constantly at the end of, especially economic news, but nowadays after almost every story, is in these uncertain times. Now, I used to ask the question, could you tell me when we were ever in certain times?
1: yeah well i think that you know i think that we're being challenged here to become more intimate with the unknown and you know we have been trained in the modern world to see the unknown as only the 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 force for bringing catastrophe and disaster and of course certainly the unknown brings difficult things but the unknown also brings wonder and joy and beauty and love And I mean, after all, every person that I've ever been blessed to love or be loved by, I didn't plan to meet them. (laughs) They came (laughs) totally unexpected um, and it's been a blessing. So, you know, I think of that when I was, you know, young and uh, we only had three TV stations then. um, But the weather report was called the weather report. and. Now it's called storm watch. And yeah, last I know, storm was only one form of weather. So I think, you know, we're being challenged during this time in a lot of ways, among a lot of ways, but certainly to become intimate and more patient with the unknown and with uncertainty. And of course, as you say, everything is constantly changing. I mean, this is the the... the hard blessing of impermanence as the buddhists speak of we tend to think of that meaning we'll all die and we all will but within a life impermanence does tell us the blessing that everything keeps unfolding in fact the the uh the original definition of the word sacrifice and there's a lot of, of amazing sacrifice going on with first responders and all kinds of people today but you know the original definition of sacrifice it it meant to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred
0: wow i had never that's, heard of that.
1: that's powerful to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred and the assumption under that is that certainly the sanctity of life doesn't change but we do and our perception of it and our ability to to see it and hear it. And so what worked today, probably the assumption of that it's not going to work tomorrow and we have to put it down to find out what's going to work. And I think that in the, in this world now, the pandemic world, we're being challenged to ask what, what's no longer working that we need to put down.
0: Yeah. You know, my uh, family, my parents had six kids of which I am one. I'm the eldest male. I have two older sisters. I had the opportunity of interviewing them on this program, mm. which will only be released and probably in 20 or 30 years after their passing. Now, I say 20 or 30 years because my dad is 89, my mother's 86, and I don't know when they're going to want to leave. One day they will. We all do. My father told me that. He said, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. But in the interview, I asked them about this aspect of having this large family and that many people that I share this with say, oh my gosh, they must have sacrificed a lot. And my mother immediately piped in and said, no, we did not. We, this is what we wanted. So your definition still applies here. My parents were already in that space of sacredness, because this is what they wanted. They wanted to bring these kids into the world. Now, after the sixth, there was a bit of a discussion as to whether or not he, uh, she was going to have a seventh. <laughs>
1: and uh-huh. the, answer,
0: the answer was no, um, be that as it may. So when I think about, for example, I was raised Roman Catholic. And sacrifice, along with suffering, um, is a big deal, but I absolutely am going to try to hold on to what you just said about the definition of sacrifice, the meaning behind it a uh, uh, letting go of those things that no longer serve us
1: yeah so there's a great there's a great story a, a little story uh, in the life of Buddha. there were so many, but this is a wonderful one that speaks to this, and Buddha was. He was uh, walking, of course, because, you know, there were no Ubers back then. But he was walking from <laughs> one village to another and um, all by himself. And he came across a river that was a pretty wide and swift river. And he, deep, he wasn't, he couldn't wade or swim across it easily. And there was nothing around. And he stopped and took the rest of the day. And he built a makeshift raft and <laughs> out of branches and reeds. And sure enough, it held him and he got across. And so then he he hoisted the raft on his back and kept walking. Well, about two hours on he realized he didn't smell water anymore, anywhere. And it occurred to him, I don't think I'm going to have to cross any more rivers. So why am I carrying this raft on my back? Mm -hmm. And the difference with Buddha, the Buddha nature in which we all have is he didn't just chuck it. He stopped there, camped for the night, built a fire, and he thanked the raft and burned it, saying, I'd rather burn you in reverence than carry you on my back in resentment. Ah. And went on. And, you know, so the question for all of us, knowing that things that do work for us, that keep us close to what is sacred, when they stop working, how do we thank them and burn them in reverence so that we can make new habits and get new tools to get close again to what matters and not be trapped in the the sanctity of something that's just old. Then it becomes just nostalgia and we're just carrying it around, but it's not, you know, this is another interesting re- story, recent, like I'd say in the last 50 years, um, in a museum in Indonesia, they had found an ancient Kuan Yin statue, of a goddess of compassion, and they, so they got, you know, they took care of it, they refurbished it, they got it in an exhibit. And once they opened it, and they had the velvet ropes and the whole thing, you know, and all of a sudden, like, not just tourists, but a lot of local people started showing up and, and then it was just filled with with local people. Um, who, they weren't just coming to the exhibit, they were ignoring the ropes, they were throwing petals at the feet of the Kuan Yin, they were chanting, they were singing. Well, for them, that statue, it wasn't an artifact of something that was sacred, it still was sacred. And so the museum in that exhibit stopped being a museum, it created quite a controversial stir in the museum world. So what do you do when the you know, when the painting of the flower comes alive, <laughs> you <Yeah>. water it. <laughs> it's,
0: it, it, it. It is also, uh, uh, you have to also acknowledge the fact that people have to be aware that those things are there. And some people are just not, they're not aware, they're not awake. And it's, it's, it's kind of a paradox. Yes, it's their fault and it's not their fault that they're not awake because there are so many things, so many distractions. I, uh, I came across another distraction in my life just recently. I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad enough that uh, we had uh, uh, the, the, this uh, virus uh, uh, circling the globe. That, that wasn't bad enough. And then we've got these protests here in America on several different counts, several different uh, perspectives. Uh, and then uh, I go to the medic and I, every time I think of that, I think of Woody Allen's joke about the medic. Uh, I go to the medic and all of a sudden I have been, I have been uh, diagnosed as having type two diabetes. And it's like, what? And initial, there was the initial shock. I am so glad they took my blood pressure before they told me this.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but after I got out of that, shall we say, haze or maze of emotion, which wasn't that bad, I started doing a little research and I realized this is, first of all, it's not a death sentence. Although I call my mother on the weekend and she says, oh yeah, so-and-so died of and died of and died of type yeah. 2 diabetes. And of course they were all older, although I think I'm probably in that realm now because I'm now 60. Anyway, so she's not really giving me a lot of the glasses half full okay and i'm one of those who is very much the glasses half full i'm very optimistic so i start doing some research plus the fact that my boss he was diagnosed with a heart condition diabetes and high blood pressure he lost 90 pounds all three diagnoses gone gone and so i'm sure he's going to be a big help with me but i'm sitting here going I know what caused it, just like I know what causes my high blood pressure. It's all up here, as far as the blood pressure. But this pandemic, my wife's furloughed for three months. Uh, We change our eating habits to comfort foods, which are full of calories and uh, full of, um, uh, what's the other thing? Carbohydrates. Probably full of sugar. Okay? Sure. And all of that stuff. And it starts to pile up. No. Well it's very
1: it's very difficult. You know, I think one of the things that that's very normal in this time is the pandemic echoes and makes more acute all the th- challenges and traumas that we we all carry around with us in yeah. quote normal time. It makes it even more acute when we have when we're going through this. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that's so powerful in this time is that, you know, like when with my cancer journey, you know, I was, um, I was stopped in my tracks, of course, uh, when diagnosed with cancer and, um, it changed everything and the human tribe has been stopped in its tracks. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the word Sabbath in the Jewish tradition literally means the one day we don't turn one thing into another. And so we have been forced into a global Sabbath to stop, to stop running from here to there, to stop uh, bending, manipulating, chasing, you know, to stop and open up. And of course, you know, in my case, what years ago um, I was turned inside out and upside down by almost dying. And, um, and what was, I've learned is that what opens in us is always more important than what opens us. And right now the question is for humanity, what's, you know, this is just a virus. Yes, it's deadly. It's unbelievably spreading like wildfire. What is being opened in us? What is it that is being broken that needs to be repaired? And what is being dismantled that needs to stay dismantled? because it's no longer working.
0: Yeah, fabulous questions uh, that I think everybody needs to be asking themselves. And you're absolutely right. And that's the reason why we have been promoting, although I had no clue back in September of last year of 2019 that this was coming, I just knew that when I was in my uh, preteens and teenage years, I used to think about... 2020. Now, I never had 2020 vision, not even to this day. Matter of fact, I'm now down to 20, I think it's 20, 50 or 60 with corrective lenses. So I'm driving. I have no vision in my left eye due to glaucoma. But I thought 2020, and they consider that perfect vision. Well, how appropriate that the year 2020, mm-hmm. we start pointing that perfect vision inward to do just exactly what you are talking about. And to that point, there's a wonderful quote on the inside cover of your book. The book is entitled The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. We can only see as far into the world as we can see into ourselves. And we're going to take a glimpse into some of the 52 paths as we continue here with Mark Nepo. It's just a pleasure to have him back with us, New York Times best-selling author of uh, the book of uh, Awakening, but we're talking about the book of Soul, and we will be back in just a moment. Tell me your
1: stories, I'll do
0: my best to understand you. Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, along with... uh, a good friend of mine, I'd like to think so. Uh, Mark Nepo, he is the author of uh, the book we're talking about today, the book of Soul, and and that is fifty two paths to living. <clears throat> pardon me, to living what matters. He is a New York Times best selling author, and we are so grateful that he has given us this time here on the program to to discuss these wonderful things that I think will help all of us. Now. I jokingly said about uh, the 52 paths that at least you're playing with a full deck. That's <laughs> important. You know, I've often said that uh, I'm not. And I haven't been playing with a full deck and many people would agree. No, you are not playing with a full deck. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, I think I think I have a pinochle deck. I think that's what I don't even know how to bring that. But uh, you have 52 paths. Now, most people have enough trouble just trying to find one.
1: Well, they're offered the way that I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, what I share are always examples, not instructions. And I believe deeply that there is no, no one path. And so uh, I offer 52 paths or many paths, first off, because you know, like you throw seeds out in a garden, you don't know which ones are going to come up. And I throw out as many as I can because I don't know which one will speak to you or to me or to someone who's listening. And so it's, you know, an array of paths. And 52, because um, I always want to invite people to take their time with my books, to read a chapter, live your life, be in conversation, live your life. And and so there's 52 paths, so that there's an invitation to read one a week over a year. Now you can read it any way you want, but. So, the, the journey is to try out, and you don't even have to read it in order. You can go any, you know, you, there's a certain uh, journey if you do, but you don't have to. You can stop in anywhere along the way and move around and, and not read these chapters in order. And the central, I think, metaphor for the book for me, and metaphors are always the doorway into the inquiry for me. Um, okay the metaphor is is that of labor physical labor you know we're all here thankfully by the blessed labor of our mothers who brought us here i remember my mother's now gone but i remember being an undergraduate in college and um seeing a documentary on on childbirth like you know you know the first time i ever really watched a woman give birth to another being and I ran out of there and called my mother up and said, oh, my God, think we're me, I don't know if I would have had me. Um, and, but the metaphor is that once we're here, we start to go through a second labor, which is the experience of a lifetime through which the soul is birthed on earth. And that it is our experience. Yeah, I believe that each person has their own wisdom, their own language of wisdom. And we, we understand it or decode it a word at a time. Each experience gives us another word in the language of our own wisdom. And so, yeah, I can't tell you what your language is. We can only kind of, you know, support each other in discovering our own wisdom and the fact that one of my other books is called More Together Than Alone. We are more together than alone. Yeah, this is yeah. One, yeah, one of the things that is, where you know, this has always happened throughout history, but right now we're in a period where, uh, you know, there, there's a great paradox, recurring paradox going on. We have, you know, we have a whole host of people who are uh, pushing away anything that's different. And we all have this capacity to, out of fear, say, no, you're different, go away. But we also have this great capacity to say, oh, my God, you're different. Teach me what I don't know. And each of us has to uh, struggle with these choice points because when we, and we're all capable, like you were saying earlier, some of us aren't awake. Well, you know, we take turns. One of my short poems is, you know, those who wake are the teachers, Those who, I'm sorry, those who wake are the students. Those who stay awake are the teachers, how we take turns. Because today I might be awake when I'm talking to you and tomorrow, you know, I won't be. And then I'll need you to help me be awake again. And so this deeper paradox is, you know, um, I watch the news and if I had hair, I'd pull it out. Um, But then I have to take a deep breath and say, we are they. I don't understand how that works. We all created this together. We're all in it together. We all take turns being awake and asleep and welcoming and, and hurtful. And it, when we are awake, it's so important that we don't vanish. It's so important that we don't vanish.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, and, it, and it leads me to uh, a book that I read years ago Uh, I'm still working on trying to get this gentleman on the program, uh, James Redfield, in Celestine Prophecy. Yes, sure. the The messages we have for one another. And I use this metaphor. That what has happened to the human being is he has developed the ability to put up his shields. Okay? Now, in Star Trek, the only thing that can get through the shields from the ship that's shielded is weapons, attack, okay? Nobody can transport through, shuttlecrafts can't get through, nothing comes in. Everything has to go out, okay? And so we need to bring down those shields because those messages could literally, literally change our lives. And yet we, we push away because of maybe the way someone appears, or the feeling that we get from someone. Uh, well, you know, the, go ahead. Yeah, the,
1: the, the um, when we push others away, the dangerous thing is that then education becomes, I only seek what will confirm what I already know. Yeah. And that's not education. True education is, I'm always trying to go outside of what I know, Teach me what I don't know. Thank God, you are. We're not the same. Together, we're more together than alone. And I have learned for me that great love. This is archetypal. Great love and great suffering bring down those shields. And um, and it's so uh, you know. Tra- it's interesting in this time, you know, that we have such loss and a kaleidoscope of feelings. This goes back to to what the echoes my cancer journey you know let me go back for a second so when i was diagnosed i went into a doctor's office and and i was stunned to be told i had cancer and then when i left that doctor's office the door i had come through to keep that appointment was gone there was no way back to my life before that appointment Mm. i was in the new world and I think in a large degree, this has happened because of the pandemic to the human community. The world as we've known it is gone and we're together, we have to live into the new world. Well, of course, when when anything like that happens, it engenders loss and grief. And I can see, you know, it makes me think of Kubler-Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, you know, and for people who are listening that may not remember, she was the modern the mother of the modern hospice movement. Hospice, of course, has been going on forever, Um, just didn't have that name, but she gave such attention and learned so much from being with people who were dying and their loved ones and grief, and and so she came up with five stages of grief that not necessarily in sequence, you bounce around, you might get stuck in a phase, but it's very interesting because these are the phases, and there are there are pockets of our society stuck in these phases right now. There is anger, denial, bartering, depression, and acceptance. Well, we have a huge part of our society that is stuck in denial right now. There's no, yeah. there's no, there's no COVID. No, things are fine. Things yeah. are fine, and of course, they're not fine. And we have a huge part of our society stuck in anger that's going to protest. We're going to protest wearing masks. Well, what are we exactly protesting? Biology? Gravity? The unfolding of time? Yeah. You know, no. Uh, You know, this is, and this where is the great love and great suffering reduces us. All the traditions have different ways of speaking about it. But in the Hindu tradition, there's a phrase, thou art that, which speaks to, we discover sooner or later we are each other. What happens to one happens to all, and so yes, if you wear your mask, you're taking care of yourself and everyone. Yeah. You know, when we care for this, so yeah. Well, on, I, yeah, I, go ahead.
0: yeah, I was gonna say that that uh, i I've, I've heard, for example, uh, you brought this up, and I'll dovetail off of it real quickly. I've heard uh, and seen some of the videos. I don't watch a lot of this stuff because it just doesn't serve me. So I sacrifice it. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: These people who uh, go into places without masks and they scream and yell that you can't do this. This is a violation of federal law. It's a violation of my constitutional rights. That, 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 that. And uh, so I, I and this is some time ago that some of this stuff happened and I started thinking about this in the context of okay Let's go down your road. You want to talk about the Constitution. All right Well, I believe there are some phrases in there that you need to take a look at now I am all for you exercising your individual rights. I am not here to stop you from doing that. Don't get me wrong I'm asking you to take a look at this uh, In the Declaration of Independence preamble of the Constitution Phrases such as, uh, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. And then, of course, you have the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, etc., etc. How are you going to juxtapose those? Now, some people say, I'm not going to sacrifice my individual constitutional rights for whatever. I say, you don't have to. I say... As, as, as an American as well. I'm not going to sacrifice anything. I'm going to exercise my individual rights by being more concerned for the general welfare and the posterity, if you will.
1: Yes, yes, wonderful.
0: And then you're not losing anything. Guess what? You're actually using those wonderful gifts that these documents claim that we have been given that we have not just for the betterment of yourself but for the betterment of humanity the community in which you live now yeah. and and, and, I, and i said you're going to me to me and that's my observation mind you that's a real american i'm not saying that the others aren't real americans but i'm saying you want to be a real american Exercise your individual rights.
1: Well, you raise speaks to a, a principle that's at work throughout history with all, all societies and all communities, and and that is the fact that you know fear makes us think that self-interest will protect us. But love and suffering affirm for us that we're more together than alone. And every person and every nation, and we run into this choice point again and again. It's almost as if in each generation, we are each charged, it's our turn to face that choice point. That we are in fact, when, when we consider the greater good, we learn that we are interdependent, we need each other. And fear makes us again, think, no, self-interest will protect us. All self-interest does is isolate us and make us wither.
0: Yeah. Uh, One of the saddest aspects of all of this is how this whole pandemic has been turned, not only it's been politicized, but it has been turned into an economic argument, a polarized economic argument, if you will, And I just sit there going, you want to open everything up? Okay. I understand why you want to do that. People need money. They need to do this, that, or the other thing. But you do realize that if 10%, and we're not there yet, thank God. But if 10%, maybe I could take that back even further, 1%. Let's say we have three hundred and fifty million people. One percent would be three hundred fifty thousand. Correct? Is that about right? Yeah. You
1: know, well, one percent. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah.
0: Three hundred fifty thousand. We're at one hundred and fifty thousand now. As we are, as of our conversation. You lose those people. Now you have lost people who were contributing to that economy. So what? Well, and I, I would.
1: You know, I would, I would offer too in support of what you're saying, that it's, yeah. you know, it's a basic argument to, to even get out of the, it's value, that argument on, on the side of opening things up, again, speaks to a larger issue that throughout time that recurs. And that's where the more divorced we are from each other, the more we start valuing things over people. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, uh, you know yes the the economy is hurt but you know as as i saw a placard on one of the teachers on the news just the other day said i can't teach from the grave exactly and people are more important than things and when things you know it's not by accident that you look in research and philanthropy the field of philanthropy for all the wonderful good that that large corporations or throughout the ages you know benefactors have given the most philanthropy is given in small, cumulative small doses and amounts from people who know what it's like to suffer. Their compassion makes them give to each other. You know, I'm I my my I'm of a Russian Jewish heritage and a story in my family is that, you know, my grandfather in the depression, the Great Depression in the 20s, you know, they were out of work like everybody, they had no money, you know, struggling to get food on the table and my grandfather would bring strangers home to dinner and my my grandmother would pull him aside and say, What are, we don't have anything. What do we and he would kiss her on the cheek and say, Break whatever we have in half, it'll be enough.
0: <laughs> you know, um I am a firm believer, maybe ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, in trusting the universe. There are those little moments, (laughs) it's like,
1: uh,
0: but but 99.9% of the time, and that's what I encourage people to do. I remember my wife coming to me on March 1st of 2006 and saying, I feel like we're on the edge of a precipice. And I thought about that for a half second. And I said, you know what, with everything that I have learned over the the years at that point, uh, and I was uh, 36 at the time. Uh, I said, the one message that comes uh, comes roaring through is, if you find yourself on the edge of a cliff, you do two things. You jump, and you trust. And that is something that a lot of people have forgotten. And by the way, you talked about fear as being a greater virus. I received an email not long ago that said that there is a greater virus. Fear is part of it. But it said that the greater virus is ignorance, fear, and lack of faith. Talk to us a little bit about faith, As, maybe especially during this time, uh, but maybe all the time. That Faith is, is, is non-sectarian. It's non-religious. It doesn't belong to one yeah. organized, so, organized group or not, whatever.
1: So faith, faith for me um, is not, as you're saying, it's not a um, a belief in a particular doctrine or a principle or a religious code. Faith for me, as I learned through my own almost dying and still being here and caring for loved ones and losing loved ones and just being alive, is the, and what I call is functional faith, is the belief that no matter what I'm going through, life is larger than me. And so that, you know, below my fear, the entire world isn't afraid. The universe isn't afraid. How do I, so faith is how do I, through what I'm feeling, access the, re, the resiliency and the resource of life? Oh, and I'll give you where my faith, in this functional faith, and it was in my cancer journey. I was, um, I had a very horrible first chemo treatment after having a rib removed from my back surgically couple of weeks later and I was outside of New York City in a holiday inn after I'd been giving the the chemo Uh, I was with my former wife and a dear dear friend of mine who's we're still good friends after all these years like a brother to me and I was I was given uh I started to get sick every 20 minutes and you imagine after having a rib removed that wasn't fun either and and we were very uh you know upset and uh, afraid and not knowing what was going to happen and terrified. And then, and, and eventually we did go to the emergency room, but thinking this can't go on, this can't just keep happening. Um, and then right around when, when uh, it got close to dawn, I was slumped on the floor, exhausted, afraid, thinking, okay, we got to go. And for some reason, as the sun came up, I realized that, you know, down the road somewhere, a a baby was being born and somewhere nearby, a couple was making love for the first time. And, you know, all kinds of life was happening. And, And I had this feeling for the first time that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. And, of course, we as human beings, we tend to, you know, if, I'm a, if we're going through something difficult, we make the whole world, we paint the whole world that. If I'm broken, the whole world's broken. If I'm afraid, the world's not a safe place. But the paradox of life is all things are true. and Or we go the other way. If we do glimpse that there's other life happening, oh, then what I'm going through must be insignificant. But no, both things are true. I was still terrified. I was still in pain. I didn't know what was coming. And thank God the rest of life wasn't just what I was going through. And because we need, you know, when I am broken, I need the company of those who understand what it's like to be broken, but I need everything that's not broken to heal. When I'm afraid, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be afraid, but I need everything whole and safe to heal. So this to me is the the crux of functional faith, is to be truthful in facing what is mine to face and to stay open to the mysterious resource of the whole. Because, and one more thing about this, why is the whole... Uh, so healing, well, we don't know except this. We know water is made out of hydrogen and oxygen. I got a glass right here, and okay? So but I can't say to you, oh, I'd like a glass of the hydrogen only, please. <laughs> Even if you could give it to me, it would no longer be water and it would no longer be quenching or life-sustaining. And this is the same thing about the mystery of life. It's the wholeness of life that is sustaining and healing. And we need to be able to drink that water and help each other. I think, I think part of the faith that I understand as functional faith is that life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other to ensure the journey of love.
0: Yeah, that is quite profound. And I have often said that... Um if the good Lord had intended for all of us to live on separate planets, I do believe that there are enough, I'll use the term class M planets, that each one of us could occupy it solo. (laughs) But the reality is nearly 8 billion of us are here. And that says to me, just as you've stated, that we're here together to learn to be here together, to work together, to play together, to create together, uh, and so forth. And that, as chaotic as it appears that things are right now, one of the other aspects is that uh, that out of chaos can come clarity, out of chaos can come creation. I mean, even the my the the Hindus talk about uh destruction and creation the gods of 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 uh uh, uh, destruction and creation and when this pandemic first hit and i became aware of it uh, uh more formally in january bear in mind i don't want anybody to get this thing and yet millions have uh i was elated because when they decided to do something different like shut things down. I mean, as a kid growing up, when the flu came around, we did nothing. We told we it was on the news that so many people, you know, people are the flu is here, you need to, you know, take care and so forth and so on. But they didn't do anything. This time, they did something different. And it points to Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And the reason I was elated was because at least I knew whether we liked it or not, we were going to get a different result. And that was exciting to me because it, it meant that there were going to be some incredible opportunities, right? Just unbelievable opportunities that we didn't even know existed. And that's what this program's about, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. I mean, who knew that here in Santa Barbara, I don't know about where you're living, but here in Santa Barbara, down our main street, uh, they shut down the main street for probably 10 or 12 blocks. Now, you still had the cross traffic that you could do, but at those intersections, it was blocked off to the next intersection, and the restaurants were putting up what they call parklets. They, They were these little areas where you could put the tables outside, socially distanced, and so on and so forth. They came up with a new way of doing it. And now the possibility is they may turn the whole State Street into a plaza. Yeah. Because there's no place to park on State Street. There's no place to enter parking garages on State Street. Why is this street open as it is to vehicles? Because, you you know, the restaurants are there. They're still going to be there. But it opens it up to something new. And maybe even exciting and even there you know did you know that some of the restaurants are actually making more money because they actually have more tables because they're now outside you know who knew so uh, that was why i was so elated by what why the decision to do what they did and i know a lot of people don't like it they hate it absolutely abhor it because they don't like to see these kinds of changes they want things to stay the same but life doesn't stay the same. You have a baby, that's a change. You know, you send a kid off to school, that's a change because when they come back, what have they done? They've experienced life and they're bringing that experience back, and so on and so forth. In terms of having uh, viewing the world as a, the glass half full or being optimistic, as I like to say, uh, also, what's your I would take it that you probably also have that glasses half full, half full well. I feel,
1: I feel that you know, I think of, uh, I think of Vaclav Havel, who was the, the first uh, president of the Czech Republic after communism rule rule fell, um, and he was a poet and a playwright, so he was a poet president, but he defined hope, which I really was taken by he defined hope as. Hope is not the optimism that things will turn out well, but the belief that no matter how things turn out, they will have meaning.
0: Mm.
1: And I find that very like functional faith. I find that very helpful. And I do believe that, you know, um, I did a couple of books ago, that book of mine, More Together Than Alone, which took me 13 years to retrieve, I like to say, Um, Mm. It really was an investigation into communities, moments that we've worked well together throughout history and cross-culturally and just telling their stories and their lessons. And what I learned from that was that throughout history, there have been huge, huge waves in the ocean of history where we've pushed each other away and then where we've come together and we've pushed each other away. And I think right now, it's not clear which way it's going. And I think that, I, I do believe, uh, not as an optimist half full. Um, I believe in both, with acknowledging the pain and suffering. But I do believe that you know each generation are, is our chance uh, to do this all over again. Every generation gets this chance, and I think I think this is ours. And I do believe that the that you know, that, that pandemic, that disease, right? Back in whatever, when it first started over in China, mm-hmm. underneath the bustle and noise of the universe going on in humanity, quietly in the fabric of existence, one atom shifted in relation to another and you had coronavirus. And now it's been going all over the world like, like a wildfire. Well, we need love to move as quickly as disease. We need give to move as quickly as take. We need light to move as quickly as dark. And the, you know, one of the unbelievable endless relationships between light and dark is that light, light's call is to fill every crack. And that's why the shields have to come down. When we, when we do, then our love and warmth and care, uh, like light from the sun fills every crack. And again, because we take turns, so tomorrow when I'm in the hole, I'll, I'll get visited by your light.
0: Yeah. And we, need, we desperately need to share it. It's not, uh, it's not something that's, that is exhaustible. It's inexhaustible. Uh, as long as we open ourselves up to let it flow, and I believe we, we let it flow from us but also through us you know, we are not the source necessarily, although then that's just based upon my own personal understanding (laughs) is that we are not the source of that light. Who knows? Maybe we are. I often used to say that uh, as far as I know, I didn't create myself, but I don't know. I have (laughs) no idea. (laughs) Um, You know, that's one of those. That's one of those. I don't know. And you know what? It doesn't matter because here I am here. You are, and we are, sharing these aspects, not just of the Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. I think that that's really such a profound statement to living what matters. Does it really matter that, whatever you wanna put there? And if it, if it does, that's, that's okay, that's good. You know that that's something that really matters um for me for example does it really matter that the basket the the nba gets rolling again no (laughs) i am an avid baseball fan and i just hate what's happening to baseball does it really matter well in the grand scheme of things no it does not and i would much rather say you know what let's wait let's just wait it's okay all right we've got plenty of film of previous ball games I think I videotaped the uh, seven-game series of the of, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks beating the Yankees in 2001, and I can go back and enjoy that, you know. Um, that is such a key to, shall we say, I don't know, gaining our equilibrium, so to speak. But I want to go deeper than that, just as your book does. I want to ask you about our intuition that's still small voice the divine voice the higher self many people have many different names for it in reference and, and even in reference to your book the book of soul uh in terms of okay where should i start well there are a lot of people they have a great technique they open a the book they flip the pages close their eyes point okay i'm gonna start there
1: well, yeah. the, the, the word trust literally means to follow your heart. And the heart is the Geiger counter or the tuning fork of the sacred. Mm-hmm. And when we follow that, that voice, you know, because I feel like, you know, the mind is a great tool, but it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a worldview. The rationality is not a worldview. The mind is a tool But, you know, it was Blake who said, crooked, straight is the road to improvement, but crooked is the road to genius. And when we look at the word genius, its original meaning meant attendant spirit. It didn't mean an extraordinary talent. So everyone has a genius. Everyone has an attendant spirit. Everyone has, by a thousand names, an inner voice, a dharma, a holy spirit, a a soul. Um, And following our intuition, which is more like constellation thinking than ladder thinking, following what matters from place to place, following our heart, leads us to our attendant spirit. This is where the word genius originally, this is where the word genie comes from. And, you know, the great story of Aladdin and the lamp. Well, that's, you know, the myth of that is not that you get wishes, but really the myth of all that is when you embrace your life, your attendant spirit appears as your guardian angel to guide you, not to give you grant your wishes. So by being truthful, by being honest, by being authentic, by being loving, by putting the shields down... By following our heart, we find our way. Crooked is the road to our attendant spirit, not straight all the time. Crooked as in terms of following what matters, what's authentic, what's real, what's truthful. And that, the reward for that is an experience of oneness. An experience of oneness, which we could call the sensation of oneness is joy.
0: Well, I have to tell you that that it's quite extraordinary from my perspective to be able to connect with individuals like yourself who are doing some incredible work through both your books your 22 is there a 23rd in the works is there Oh,
1: sure, kept? of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Um because we'd love to have you back to to continue that conversation.
1: Well, thank it, you. It's been a joy.
0: Yeah. Um, before we let you go, I want to ask you one more question about the book. What was your inspiration for this particular book, The Book of Soul Fifty 52- Two? 52 uh, paths to living what matters
1: yeah my you know my inspiration my my want to understand because each book for me is an inquiry and the words are just the trail of that inquiry so i what i share in the books are not things i necessarily know when i start they're things i learn after the journey of of uncovering the book that's why i say retrieve but the 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 inquiry for me here, and it still is one, is the last chapter of the book is called "The Temple Is the World." And that's what I was interested and in, still am interested in, and that is, you know, we all go to sanghas or temples or mosques or churches or community centers or family or or very important relationships, become our holy our holy inner sanctum. But the longer I live, the more, the the more I believe it's not for us to stay there. It's to, it's to grow from there. And the way, a the way, a, a a chick will be born out of an egg is for those walls to come down because the temple is the world. Yeah. That's for us to be that everywhere. And that's what I'm interested in my own life and with others in learning how to inhabit and do. And so this book is, um, you know, my, my inquiry more deeply into that.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that, that the, the process that, uh, that we take is always unique. And I used to think about this aspect. Of, uh, of the process. Thinking, okay, well, Mark has his, his path. He's got his ideas of what works for him that keeps him centered, that keeps him focused on, and so forth. I have mine. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that his will work for me, and vice versa. And that's probably true. Absolutely. But that, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't share our process, because maybe there's. Something within your process that's going to click in my mind and or in my heart.
1: Well, so let me, let me share this before we go. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and because it speaks to this, and this is a great tradition in the Native American uh, tradition, and it's, a, it's where how elder, native elder councils have met and still meet, and they meet in circle, not because of equity, because there's no head to the circle, they meet in circles so that everyone has a direct view of the center. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's because (laughs) one view isn't enough. Exactly what way work for you. you may see what I see in the center, but then you have to translate it to where you are on the circle. It's only important in terms of like, if something speaks to someone, and this is the way I convene circles and teach, then it's incumbent on whoever is there to personalize it and make it your own.
0: Well, you've just touched upon another metaphor that we use. What the reason why we have such a diversity of guests on this program is because we are uh, there's an event going on inside of the circle, just as you described. And what we want people to do is stand on as many points around the circle as is possible to get that different perspective. So you <laughs> you uh-huh. just jump right in to that, that aspect of, our, of what we are talking about on this program is that metaphor of the circle. And uh, you may not like the perspective that you have. You may not. We get that. I get that. Uh, you know. But the reality is, what was it? Uh, I was taught years ago, uh, and I was in photography class in college, and they told me that you can have 10 people see a car accident, and you're going to get 10 different perspectives, which is actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Most people look at it as a bad thing. Because how are you going to get to the truth? Well, because you've got these different perspectives. And um, matter of fact, it's interesting because I was actually – uh, taking black and white photographs of a car accident uh, that took place uh, at an intersection that was in my neighborhood one day. And I was just crossing the street, and taking some pictures, crossing the street, taking some pictures, trying to get around it as much as I could. Not, not that I was doing anything for the police. I wasn't helping them. I wasn't my intent. But it, it showed that point that you just made. And we really need to move around that circle. We really do and I think that's the problem right now we've got specifically in this country is that a lot of these people that are out there protesting and I would hope they would do it in a safe manner and just protest they need to stop and say oh it's, what if I looked at this from a different angle because quite honestly would you agree with me Mark there are actually more than two sides
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the whole is always greater than the sum of its parts. And, um, and we need as many views as possible. Yeah.
0: Mark, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program and being with us and sharing your work. The website, I'm going to remind our listeners of once again, so that they can get more information. Of course, they can go directly to your website, which is marknepo.com.
1: Oh, and Richard, let me share that Um, because I almost forgot that uh, we got so deep in conversation, but I am offering two uh, online journeys that are coming up that people can register at live.marknepo.com. One is August 29th, will be a free reading and conversation. And in October, um, I'll be offering a three-session webinar. All
0: right, so that's live.marknepo.com. And we encourage people to go there to find out more about the work that he's doing, the videos, the, set, the, 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 the uh, virtual gatherings, shall we say. Yes. Um, you know, and, and I, I have to say that I participated in one or two. I'm involved in a project of theater, Zoom theater. And it's fascinating because what we'll do is we'll record it. We'll block it as far as if we do gallery view and people are in and out. Okay, where do I look? And so forth. Then I put it into a video video editor, which I've never worked with before, but it's similar to audio editing, except now you're using pictures and so forth. We then put, present that on a given night. And uh, as a matter of fact, as of our conversation, the presentation that we're going to be giving on the 29th of July at 7 p.m. is going to be a three-play performance. So the entire video will play with all three plays, and then we'll open it up for discussion and so forth. And people are, they're begging for this stuff. They want to see theater. And okay, so it's Zoom, that, all right, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll adjust mentally. And it's a wonderful thing that people are adapting. That's what I was talking about in terms of opportunities. It's great. The other website, by the way, for Mark Nepo, as well as dot marknepo.com and threeintentions.com. And just briefly before we wrap this up, what are these, what are the, can you tell us what the three intentions are or what we'll find there?
1: Well, three intentions is a sister site. So it, it has, it's devoted to my work as well as my website and it just reaches uh, you know, across the world, so people have access to all of what where, where I'm teaching and my books and what I'm doing. And the, the live.marknepo.com is a new uh, landing place for the, just for the online, to register for the online offerings now that we're, you know, learning how to do that.
0: Do you like doing that? I mean, I know I, it's not the same as having the presentations, with uh, us. I'm very
1: heartened. I'm very heartened by it. You know, it can never be the same as being in person, but there's much more connection and presence than I imagined. And it's an amazing tool. So I am, I'm very relieved and heartened to be able to, to work this way. All right. It's great to be with you, Richard. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you. And hopefully when we get to move around again, maybe we'll be able to get together in person. Maybe have you come out to Santa Barbara to do an interview in studio or, as I've offered many times, we'll take a couple of chairs, we'll go out on the beach, did a little recorder, a couple of microphones, and we'll just sit there relaxing in the calm of the surf. By the way, there was a song I found out about, um, I believe the term is slack tide. I had never heard that term before. I was watching an interview with Jimmy Buffett, and he has a new album coming out with a song entitled slack Tide. Slack tide is that period of time when the tide is neither going in nor going out. It's just kind of sitting there. And I'm going, I would never heard. That. And what a great metaphor. And yeah. right now, do we not have a great opportunity to take advantage of slack
1: tide? Yes, we do. Well, I look forward to that. That would be wonderful someday yeah. if we could be able to do that.
0: I have three final questions I'd like to ask you that I probably asked you last time, but I want to ask you again. Uh, But before we do, I want to tell our listeners uh, that you can tune in to this program. I hope you will. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at richarddugan.com as well as the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and Blueberry and many others. And we hope that you can support us by uh, uh, contributing through PayPal or Patreon for your security as well as ours. The uh, uh, the links are on the home page as well as the missions page. And we thank those who have helped and those who will help. Uh, and uh, so now for the three final questions. Uh, this is the bonus round. <laughs> First question is: Who is Mark Nepo?
1: Oh, you know, that, that's, you know, all my books and all my work. I'm, I'm, just, a, uh, I'm just a conduit. I'm just serving. That's all. Like D.H. Lawrence said, not I, but the wind that blows through me.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now?
1: My whole uh, aim is to help uh, people uh, discover their own gifts and their own wisdom.
0: And finally, what is your life's purpose?
1: Well, my life's purpose is to be as alive as possible and to give as freely as possible.
0: Well, I thank you again so much for being on the program. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And just a reminder, the title of the book is The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. Life doesn't add up, but opens up, and we hope yours does too. We're hoping you will open up the book, The Book of Soul, and go to Mark's website. And until our next broadcast podcast, Love, Talal.